The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com slash partner. I haven't had the privilege of meeting you. Uh, I'm Ant Pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. Very glad you're here worshiping with us. If this is your first time, I'd love for you to do me a favor. Uh, Hopefully we were able to get you one of our uh, bulletins. We would love for you to fill out the bottom of that and drop it in the offering basket when it is passed around at the end just so we can just acknowledge that you are here and get to know you uh, a little bit uh, better. If you can, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to get there in a second. Again, Hebrews Uh, chapter 10. Uh, We're on the home stretch in our series that we're calling uh, Personal Liturgy. We've been dealing with different uh, spiritual enemies uh, that rob us of the ability to walk in the type of spiritual flourishing and prospering that God has for us. Uh, We've looked at different uh, spiritual enemies like like apathy uh, and distraction, uh, amongst others. Today, we will uh, continue to talk about this specific spiritual enemy uh, that we're calling self-absorption. Again, self-absorption which we define as being preoccupied with your thoughts, feelings, desires, and concerns above all else. Again, being preoccupied with your thoughts, feelings, desires, and concerns above all else. This, this tendency that we have, last week I described it as uh, that this is actually a spiritual enemy, but we treat it as if it is a friend. We treat it as if it is something that is for our good. We have believed that, it, that by focusing in on ourselves, our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own concerns, that we'll actually tr- find true happiness and true joy through doing that. And in doing so, we're actually hindering our own growth, our own prospering and flourishing uh, as the people of God. Specifically, I want to talk about uh, a way that we fight against self-absorption today, a way that we can actively, consistently keep our eyes off of ourselves and onto those around us, and that'll be through uh, the, the, what we'll call today biblical encouragement. I'm going to spend some time in, in a couple different passages in the book of Hebrews uh, where we'll talk about what it looks like to, to be an encouragement to those around us in a way that fights against and rebels against our natural tendencies to be absorbed in and of ourselves, right? Because to, to, to actively and consistently be encouraging others requires an outward focus. It requires us thinking not only of ourselves as we're going to do this uh, in a biblical way. So the first passage we'll go to, Hebrews chapter 10, we'll look at verses 24 and 25. Again, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. I'll read verse 24 to get us started. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. First thing that jumps out to me about this passage is he, he didn't say, let us stir up one another to love and good works. He said, let us consider how we might stir up one another or how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's a step further than I think we, we, we often do. He's saying take an intentional step, an active step to, to consider to take time to, to intentionally consider how might I stir up my brothers and sisters in the faith. He, he's saying, don't just go do it, but actually take, take a minute, take, take a little bit of time, think about this, let's, let's ponder this, let's consider this. How might I encourage this brother or sister who is in my life group? How can I encourage this brother or sister who, who is a member of our church family? How can I be there for them? How can I take my mind off of myself when I'm by myself to consider how I might be an encouragement to others. This is a proactive thing, this, this considering, this, this thinking about this ongoingly. So let us consider how to stir up one another. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit 
of some. So this is a, this is a popular verse that a lot of preachers uh, bring up, and rightly so, to encourage the people uh, of God to gather together in things like Sunday worship, maybe in small groups or our, or our life groups. This is a, a common verse that is brought up. Let us, it says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It says there are some who are in the habit of neglecting meeting together. There are some uh, in Christianity today who say, I don't need to be a part of a church. I don't need to be a part of a community. Me and Jesus can do our thing on our own. I don't, I don't need any organized form of Christian religion practice or, or the practice of our faith together. There are many who are saying that I don't need that. He's saying, no, no, don't neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. But the reason he says we shouldn't neglect this stands out to me. And I don't think it's what we would expect. Verse 25 again. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. He's saying, don't be like those who are neglecting meeting together. Don't do that. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this is what, how the logic flows. Some people are neglecting the practice of gathering together as Christians. I'm telling you not to be like them so that you can actually be an encouragement to each other, is what he says. The reason that he gives for us not neglecting gathering together is so that we can encourage each other, is what he says. That's a complete 180-degree distinction from the way that we normally think about gathering together as believers. For many of us, when it comes to gathering together on Sundays for, for, for corporate worship or maybe in our life group or specifically on Sundays, we might think, man, I hope they sing the songs I like. Man, I hope the preacher doesn't go too long, right? For some of us, I wonder if I can find a boyfriend or girlfriend in this church. Why is the lighting like it is? I hope someone sits near me or, man, I hope nobody sits near me. People get too close. Why are we singing this song that long? Man, why don't we sing longer? Why don't they have more donuts available at the beginning of our gathering? All of us have some type of, of rubric that we would use that we would pull out, that if we actually thought about it, that we would use to say, this was a good time together for, for worship on Sunday, or this was not as good to me. How many of us in our understanding of what makes a good gathering of believers is whether or not we are actively encouraging each other after we have considered how we might stir each other up to love and good works? This is an outright rebellion against self-absorption. Many of us, if, if we're honest with ourselves, if we were to ask ourselves, what, what makes a church gathering good for me or good in my eyes? It will be things that we prefer, things that we enjoy. But this, the author of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 no. Don't neglect gathering together so that you can encourage each other. Right after he says, consider, or consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I mean, I believe it would change our church if before we came in here on Sundays, we all just considered just for a minute, how might I be an encouragement to someone who's going to be there today? Lord, Lord, direct me to someone who you're sending here that I can encourage. How might I be an encouragement to them? The book of Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the what? In the power of the tongue. The Bible says that we actually have the power to, to give life, so to speak, to those who, who may be struggling, for those who may be downtrodden with our words, I believe if we grasp this, if we truly consistently just went before the Lord, God, how might I be an encouragement to my brothers or sisters today? I, th I believe our church would serve more. I believe we serve more and with a better attitude. I think we live more for his glory than our own. I think we would make it our business to love people more and more and more if we practice this. I wonder how much good will be done, how much more good will be done if we, just, if we just energize each other through encouragement on an ongoing basis. 
tell you about a time I was encouraged uh, in my in life group meeting. Uh, this was actually, I believe it was last week, I think it was Tuesday of last week, uh, I was talking about, uh, just, just as a dad, like some of the difficulties of, 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 of disciplined kids and, and all this kind of stuff, some stuff I was struggling with, and without even really knowing it, I was hyper-focusing on the things that weren't going the way that I wanted them to go, uh, and Mark was in my life group, he was just like, Aunt, you, you have laid a great foundation for your sons in, in telling them about the Lord and everything that you do. He just said like two sentences, and it, it was like a weight lift, and I was like, Oh, like I felt so encouraged to continue on because he took the time to encourage me in what he has seen the Lord doing through me as a parent and as a dad. Our words are so powerful. So powerful. Let us take time to consider how we might stir one another on for love and good works as Mark encouraged me to continue on. And I don't even know if he knew how much of an encouragement that was. So that's what he points to in Hebrews chapter 10. I think he goes a little bit deeper in Hebrews chapter 3 when he points us to this idea of, of biblical encouragement. Let's read that together. This is the passage that Chris read a little bit earlier. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. Hear that word. But exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So he just said, if you wake up and the day that you call, that, that you are currently in, if it's today, then you should, be encouraging each, you should be encouraging each other, is what he says to the church. Let's break it back down from the beginning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an, unbel- an evil, unbelieving heart. He says, take care. He says, says be careful. And he's talking to everybody, so he's not talking to any one specific individual. He's talking to everybody. All of you, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He said, all of you to be on guard. All of you are to be careful about this, that that none of you have a heart that is becoming, that is starting to disbelieve in God or not believe in God and his promises. He says, all of you, take care. Just before this passage, we don't have time to get into it. He's referring to uh, the children of Israel who, who fell away from God, so to speak, who turned away from, from God, who didn't trust him, didn't trust his promises, and thus did not enter into his rest, did not enter into the promised land. He's like, take care, brothers and sisters, that that does not happen to any of you. He's putting the responsibility on everyone to make sure to see to it that that doesn't happen with anyone in the community of faith. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's saying that actually by exhorting one another, by encouraging one another, we actually get to join God in his work to to keep us following him and submitting to him and loving him. And he says we should do this every day. I find it very interesting what he says towards the end of verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That none of you might be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's saying that that the deceitfulness of sin has this hardening tendency that it causes our hearts to be hard. And he says that the way that sin does this is through deceiving us. That he deceives us, that sin deceives us, and thus our hearts become hardened. It's very interesting to me. I don't don't know if you've ever considered this. I don't know what you would say if someone were to ask you, what is the primary way that Satan looks to cause people to fall away from the living God? I would say, biblically speaking, the primary method that Satan uses to get us to fall away from God is by getting us to believe things that are not true. 
is by getting us to believe lies. There might be, I would say that is his biggest weapon against us. Let me try to tell you why I say it. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, God told them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do, you're going to die. And, and Satan comes in and it's like, well, you, you won't really die. Did God really say that? Really what would happen is you're just going to understand good and evil the way that God does. That's what's really going to happen. So he gives them a little bit of truth and slides a lie in right with it. And thus the fall of humanity It's his first trick. It's his biggest trick, I would say. You can continue on. If you look at John chapter 8, verse 44, we should have it on the screen. It says, you are, this is Jesus talking to some of the Jews at that time. You are of your father, the devil. Jesus was a savage, first of all. <laughs> you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and check this out, and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. This is how Jesus defines Satan and his identity, what he is and, and what he does. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. He says when, when Satan lies, he is speaking out of his very identity and who he is. He is the father of lies. He is, it's almost as if he, he created lies, so to speak. He, he started, he did it first. I would say he does it best. And he pushes his lies on us. And this is why we turn away from God, fall away from God, walk away from God. Don't follow God as we should. He feeds us his lies. He doesn't stand in truth because there is no truth in him. A liar is the essence of who he is. Check out what Jesus says a little bit earlier in that chapter, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Two main points. Jesus said the truth Actual truth that, that, will, that will combat against and, and defeat these lies is found in the word, first of all. And he says, the truth will set you free. So the implication then there is that lies cause us to be in bondage when we believe them. If the truth sets us free, then the lies that we believe actually bind us, cause us to be in bondage. They enslave us. And the truth that we find in the word of God is what sets us free, Jesus says. Paul makes the same point that, that, the, that the way the enemy attacks us is through lies. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, I'll read verses 3 through 5. This is Paul talking about spiritual warfare. This is very, it's crazy to me that this is how he defines or describes spiritual warfare. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Again, spiritual warfare, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So he's saying the weapons that we use in our spiritual warfare, they're not of the flesh, but they have divine power. They have the power of God. These weapons that he's about to describe or this fight that he's about to describe in verse 5. Verse 5. Here's how we fight, he says. Verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. He says you want to destroy strongholds. You want, you want to actively walk in and fight with the divine power of God himself? You destroy every argument and every opinion that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You fight with the truth, Paul says. He says you take every thought captive to obey Christ. The reality of it, if we don't take these, these lies, these thoughts captive to obey Christ, then these lies and these thoughts will take us captive. And we will be in bondage because of the lies that we believe if we do not believe the truth that we find in the word 
of God. I want to restate my point. Satan lies to us. This is the primary way that he attacks us. And thus, then the primary way we fight for our spiritual health, for our spiritual growth, and for the spiritual health and growth of our brothers and sisters is through the truth. It's by communicating what is true. It is the only thing that frees us from this bondage to sin that keeps our hearts from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If sin comes in and deceives us, then what we need is the truth to come and redirect us and help us to see ourselves and God properly. If you want to fight against sin and the enemy, you stand firm on the truth of God's word. Well, what kind of lies does Satan tell us? Just try to spend some time thinking through lies that I know he tells me, that I know he tells us. You're not lovable. Look at what you did. Nobody would really love you if they knew about that. I mean, yeah, God loves you maybe, but he doesn't like you. Like, he more just tolerates you. God doesn't really have your good at heart. He's not looking out for your good. You can't trust him with your whole life. You shouldn't submit everything to him. You might as well give up on your marriage. It can't get any better. It's hopeless. You are worthless. These are lies that the enemy tells us. Go ahead and scroll to this porn site. It'll make you feel better. Or you can pray and meditate in God's word tomorrow. It won't matter if you miss another day. Oh, you do know what you did? You can't go and talk to God after you did that. Christianity ain't for black people. The Bible is just a tool for oppression. You can't be black and really believe that. Go on and indulge in your lust real quick. Everyone does it. It ain't that bad. Yeah, you're supposed to go squash this beef and this division between you and, a, and another brother and sister in Christ, but that would be awkward, and it's really not that big of a deal anyway. You don't really need to confess your sin to God and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's best to just keep this a secret and not let anybody know. You don't want people to think of you different. Those people at that church, they don't really love you. They're just saying that because that's what Christians are supposed to say. You can't be successful. You can't do anything good at all. All you are is just a screw-up. A failure is all you are. He whispers these lies to us every single day. He attacks us with his lies every single day. He bombards us every single day. And thus, us engaging in spiritual warfare means, just as the author of Hebrews says, we should be encouraging each other with the truth every single day as long as it is called today. The author says... Let's go back to what he says here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 again. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Because, he, because we are inundated with these lies, we need to take care, we need to be careful that no one, that none, none in our fellowship of believers are given to unbelief. As far as, we, as far as we can work actively with our God, empowered by his spirit, Take care that none of us are falling away from God. That's one of the saddest things you'll ever see. I know, I know I'm not the only one in this room that has seen this before. Where there are people that you knew that maybe they grew up in the church. And maybe they, they were very active. They're very consistent in the church. Maybe there was somebody who maybe even was a mentor to some of us in the room. Those who, as far as we can tell, walked with the Lord. And then you, you, you connect with them in a few years. And it's like they're not even following Jesus anymore. That they're no longer walking with him. That they're, they're no longer spending time in his word. They're no longer spending time in prayer. They're no longer gathering with the believers. May it not be so of us. 
that each of us would, would take care, that each, each of us would take some amount of responsibility for the spiritual health of each other, that we would lift our eyes off of ourselves, off of, off of our own affairs, off of our own cares enough to consider how we might encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith, knowing that our words are very powerful. Verse 13 again, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's saying all of us, we work together to see that no one is falling away and that none of our hearts are being hardened. And we do this every single day. Again, if we're self-absorbed, we'll spend all of our time talking about how difficult things are for us, right? If we're so focused on our own cares, our own concerns, our own feelings, our own thoughts, our own affairs, then what will naturally come out of our mouths is complaint. I think I said last week, complaint is the language of the self-absorbed. I think based on the scriptures that we have here, then then the one who is not self-absorbed, the one who understands the call of God for us to encourage each other, then encouragement will be our language. Encouragement would flow from us and we would uplift each other with our words. But when we're so self-absorbed, we don't even notice the need. We don't even realize that all of, every single one of our brothers and sisters is in a fight every single day of our lives. We're in a fight to believe the truth when we're inundated with these lies over and over. If we're so consumed in ourselves, it's like we're oblivious to the fights that everyone in this room is going through. Our self-absorption, it prevents us from being able to encourage our brothers and sisters because not only do we not consider how we might encourage them, we don't even consider the fact that they're in a fight today, right now, in this room, beside you, in the row, in a fight, to believe the truth of God. Every lie that the enemy tells us needs to be fought against with the truth. Every single one of them. The enemy and the sin that lives in each of us, they're going to be feeding us these lies to harden our hearts, to cause us to turn away from God every single day. So let us be about our business, about the business of encouraging each other with the truth every single day. We must do like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every lie needs to be confronted. Every lie needs to be analyzed against the truth of God's word. And if it does not line up, then we destroy it, as Paul says here. So how do we take these thoughts captive so that they do not take us captive? Right? How do we fight for our brothers and sisters? What does that actually look like? How do we go about encouraging one another in the truth of the word of God? I will say for the person who feels unlovable because of the things that they've done wrong. And this requires a a being knowledgeable of God's word. This requires us spending time in God's word on our own and collectively together. For the person who feels unlovable because of the things they've done wrong, you can share with them verses like Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You can remind them that the Father, our Father together, that he delights to show mercy, that he loves to to rid us of our sins, to forgive us so much that it is as if our sins have been hurled into the depths of the sea because he has separated us from our sins and from the guilt of our sins. Our brothers and sisters in this room need to remember this. 
especially those of us who, who can feel unlovable, who can feel intense shame because of our sin. For the Christian that believes the lie, that God doesn't really like them, but instead he just tolerates them. We can encourage them with verses like Exodus 19.5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. My treasured possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine. This verse is God is talking to his people. Obviously, for us, we know that God, that God the Son, Jesus Christ, has already obeyed Christ fully and perfectly on our behalf. So this verse very much applies to us that we as his people are his treasured possession. I can tell you there's many people in this room right now who do not feel like they are treasured by God. We need to encourage each other with these truths. That because of the righteousness that we've been given, because of Christ's righteous life, that God doesn't just tolerate us. That he delights in us. That he treasures us, that he finds pleasure in being with us, in him being our father and us being his sons and his daughter. For the Christian who doubts that God is actually for their good and looking out for them, we can encourage them with Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, you can remind, you can tell or remind them that our father, that he uses every detail of our lives for our good and for his glory. Every season of happiness and celebration, every season of sadness and grief and pain, he uses for our good and he uses it for his glory. We need to remember this because the lies are coming to us that God has forsaken us, that God is not with us, that that these things are only bad and we get hopeless. We need encouragement from our brothers and sisters. For the Christian that feels like they're they're not growing in Christ anymore, that they're just stuck in these sinful habits and they have no hope for growth going forward, we can encourage them with verses like Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We can tell and remind our brothers and sisters that God hadn't started something in you that he does not intend to finish. That if God began to grow you and God began to free you from the power of sin in your life and over your life, he will continue. He will not leave you. He will continue to free you from the power of sin in your life. And you can take hope and you can take courage and you can continue to fight knowing that God is with you and that God is fighting for you every day of your life. We need to encourage our brothers and sisters in this because we get discouraged. And we believe the whispers, we believe the lies that, that we're just stuck in this and things aren't going to get any better. We've been struggling with this sin for years and maybe even decades. But in his word, he tells us that he will bring it to completion, that the good work that he started, he's going to finish it. He's not started anything he does not intend to finish. He will continue to mold us and shape us until we look just like him in righteousness when he takes us home to glory in the next life. For the Christian that has believed the lie that they are worthless, and that they have no value. I want to use a verse that I brought up last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses, the second half of verse 19, and only in the verse 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with the price. So glorify God with your body. Last week I used that to say we, our, our lives are not our own, our lives do not belong to us, and that's very true. Something else that's very true is he's saying we're not worthless because we were bought with a price. And hear me on this, the thing that we were bought with is the most valuable, the most precious thing in the entire universe, and that is the life of God himself. That we, that we were purchased, that we were ransomed with the life of God himself. You are not worthless. Our brothers and sisters, we, we need to encourage each other with the word of God, with the truth of Scripture, that we are not worthless, that God sent his son, died on the cross for us to ransom us and free us from our slavery to sin. And if God says you are not worthless, hear me on this, you are not worthless. 
and you have value in him. For the Christian who feels abandoned or alone, maybe abandoned by others, for people who maybe even feel abandoned by God, we can encourage our brothers and sisters with verses like Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Jump down to verse 37. No. Saying no, none of these things can separate us from the love of Christ. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those of us who have experienced abandonment in our life, those of us who, who, who have been left behind, so to speak, those of us who are tempted to feel like God is no longer with us, we need to be encouraging each other with these verses, with these truths in the Bible. This is important that we remind each other that no matter what has happened in their life, no matter what they've suffered, no matter, what, no matter who has deserted them, no matter who has loved them or not loved them, God is with them every single moment of every single day of their lives. And he will carry them home to be with him forever on the next side as well, on the other side. Nothing, not death, not death, not life, not angels, no man, no woman, boy or girl, nothing in past, nothing in present, nothing in future, no height, no depth, nor anything in all creation can separate us from his love. Romans says, if I can be specific to some of our brothers and sisters for the Christians of color in the room who are aware of the ways that Christians have perpetuated the evils of oppression and racism against us, against our families and communities and have lost hope because of this injustice, could encourage them with verses like Jeremiah 21, 12. O house of David, thus says the Lord, execute justice in the morning. And deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. We can encourage each other with verses like Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 1 through 3. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression. To turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right. That widows may be their spoil, that that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? We need to tell and remind each other that God hates oppression more than any of us do. That God hates it more than any of us do. That it angers him more than it angers any of us. And that God loves justice and that he is at work to establish justice in the earth. And that when he returns, that when he comes back for his people, he's going to establish justice in the likes that no one on this earth has ever seen before. When he removes all oppression from this earth and from his people. We need to encourage each other that our God, that just because others who who are Christians have perpetuated things like systemic oppression through racism, that our God hates it. That he is on our side, that he is with his people, that he is near the oppressed. For any Christian who feels hopeless, 
Any believer that can't see past the suffering and the, sin, the suffering that sin has brought into this world for, for any follower of our Savior that feels defeated by sin that, that, or, by, or by suffering or by grief or by the pain or trials or tribulations of this world. For the Christian who just can't see past the darkness, that can't see the light of our God, we can take them places like Revelation chapter 21 to show them that the light's going to return and do away with all of the darkness. Starting at verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, so this is King Jesus talking, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated at the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. You can remind the oppressed that he who died unjustly at the hands of oppressive government, he isn't just a victim of oppression, but he is a conqueror over all oppression, and he will destroy it and do away with it in the earth. You can say to all who are hurting that the one who sympathizes with them in their pain because he has dealt with pain and suffering himself, he isn't just a victim of pain, but he is a victor and a conqueror over pain because he's going to come back and destroy it and rid his people from pain and suffering once and for all when he takes us to be with him forever. You can comfort those who are grieving. That not only is he, as Isaiah 53 says, a man acquainted with grief, because he had much to grieve in his life, but he is also the victor and conqueror of grief. And he's going to come back and he's going to take it away from his people forever. That every believer will have a day when the last grieving tear is wiped from our eyes. For every believer who has ever walked the earth that has experienced grief and pain, we can know for certain to have hope in the fact that he will remove it from us forever. We have a glorious Savior who is our truth. And through the word of God, we have the ability to fight alongside him for the encouragement of our brothers and sisters as we are tempted to believe these lies every single day. May we be a people that fight against this self-absorption. That we wouldn't be content to only walk around concerned about our own, confer- our own affairs, our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own concerns. But that we will be those who have eyes to see the battles and the lives of those around us. That we will be those who have eyes to see that we have a real enemy who feeds us these lies that he uses to try to take us captive. And that we will seek to be an encouragement to our brothers and sisters every single day. Because if we are self-absorbed. If we are so preoccupied with our own feelings, thoughts, and concerns that we don't even consider, that we don't even consider how we might encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith, then we do a great damage to the kingdom of God. Then we do, we do not show off the love of our Savior. Then we do not represent him well as his ambassadors in the earth. We have access to his scriptures. We have access to the Bible in, in more ways, I feel like, than ever before. I mean, we have access in, in our hard copies. It's not easy to find. We have access on our phones, on our tablets, on our, our laptops, on our computers. We have access to the word of God. Maybe not be those that, that have this truth, but yet don't use it to encourage those who need it. For some of us, we, we, we do not encourage others because we are so just consumed. We don't even think about We don't even think about it. But for some of us, the reason we don't encourage others, because this self-absorption has us still focusing on ourselves, asking the question, well, what will people think about you? 
How will people feel about you? How awkward will you feel if it doesn't come out the right way? How this just doesn't fit your personality to be one that goes and encourages others. It's still all about you. It's the self-absorption at its finest. Your self-absorption will have you talking yourself out of, out of encouraging those who need it the most. But the truth of God's word calls us to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. The one who sacrificed his own preferences. The one who was not overly preoccupied with his own concerns, his own feelings, his own desires. But the one who in the Garden of Gethsemane looks to the Father and says, God, if it be your will, will you take this away? Well, but not my will. But not my feelings, not my thoughts, not my concerns, Lord, but yours be done. And he carried his cross up Calvary's hill and died for our salvation. May we see that example. May we experience and know that love so much that we take our eyes off of ourselves and place them on our brothers and sisters whom we can encourage with the truth. The challenge that we're going to have for all of us this week it's just as the scripture says that we are to encourage each other every day that is called today. The challenge for the next seven days I want to issue to you as our church is that every day you find someone to encourage. That every day this week you, you would take time, consider how you might encourage them and stir them on towards good works and towards love. And that you would actually do this. You would make a phone call. Maybe if it's a text message, maybe it's an email, maybe hopefully a person-to-person interaction. I believe doing it in personal ways is best. That we will fight against this self-absorption. That we will fight to take our eyes off of ourselves, to take our thoughts off of ourselves and onto others who are going through fights and real battles. And that we will start today. That today, we would all encourage someone that we would continue on and that we wouldn't just do it for one week, but that we would be compelled for the rest of our lives to give ourselves to encouraging our brothers and sisters in the truth of God's word and stirring each other on towards love and good works. I pray for us before we partake in communion together, Lord. Father, we're grateful, Lord. We're grateful that you weren't overly absorbed with yourself, that you would forget about us. Lord, you knew that we would need truth. You knew that we had a real enemy who would feed us these lies every day, Lord. So you sent us your son. You sent us your truth to show us who you are. Lord, that we will find courage in our hearts, that we will find love in you, in your word, in the truth of your scriptures. Lord, we're grateful today that you would not leave us to our own devices, Lord, but rather that you would come to us, that we would take heart in you. Lord, would you help us to take care, Lord, lest there be in any of us an unbelieving heart, Lord, that's been hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Will you help us to do this, Lord? We're going to need your Holy Spirit, Father, to live this out. It's in Christ's name I pray.